bit, but I can't. That's okay. <laughs> I so, can still see you. So, Jenna. Hi. How's it going? Oh, uh, you know. Sorry. I would like to welcome you, Jenna, to the Art of Murder. Thank you. My name's Julie. I'm Jenna. Oh, Jenna, this is your podcast, too. <laughs> this is my podcast, too. Oh, okay, I get it now. I'm coming along for the ride, if you don't mind. Guys, we have to bring something up. This let's, is our let's second... Let's address the elephant in the room. This is our second pilot, if there's such a thing. We yeah. had epic failure last week. A little bit. We we posted it anyway. Um, it's It's at times painful. The recording, we don't know what we're doing. We have no idea. Especially me, Julie. I have no idea what's happening in the world. And by world, I mean recording, mics, whatever. Jenna, thank God, <laughs> knows a little bit more. and has, Just a little bit. Yeah. Well, enough. Luckily enough that we could sort of correct that clusterfuck that happened last week. Guys, it's painful. It was so bad. So bad. And for the five of you who listen, because we've had we've had five people listen. No. Mm-hmm. Somebody listened? Yep. We had five people okay, listen. One of that was me. One of it was me. <laughs> Could we have gone back on three more times and it would have counted as a listen? Oh, I don't know. I, I truly... Uh, oh, me. Jenna. Sorry. <laughs> I truly don't think anybody listened to it. I think that was just us going back on. Well, then... I'm really disappointed in our 24 followers on Instagram who didn't listen. You know what? I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Guys, don't listen to the first one. Fall in love with us first. Yeah. And then after, go back and maybe you can handle listening to it. It's just the recording was unfortunately terrible. The stories and everything were great. They were fantastic. It had nothing to do with us. Let's be honest. We were perfect. You were perfect, Jenna. You were perfect, Julie. No, you were perfect. Like, you know, we were we were perfect. We were a fantastic team. We just clicked, you know, clack, 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 like that. Um, but uh, yeah, the recording, you can't hear Jenna. She sounds like she's actually locked up in the catacombs trying to scream up to the Earth's core surface. Not core surface, just surface. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe I did have her locked in the catacombs. We don't know. But now we have we'll never find out. beautiful professional mics <clears throat> with, um, what do you call these again? Windscreens. So, yeah. So apparently... These are windscreens, mm-hmm. which help not pop, pity pop, pop things. P's and B's. No BP pop bing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Peter Piper picked a peck of poppers. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. Jenna's good at that game. So, yes. Yeah, so, this is our, our second pilot. So, we are going to, uh, you know, Jenna, you want to tell these people what we actually do, what this is all about? Yeah. Uh, so if you didn't listen to the first episode, uh, we kind of went into a little bit of a description of it, but we're going to do a better, well, we'll do a crisper, clearer, not in a catacomb sounding <laughs> version of it. So The Art of Murder, uh, just a little backstory. Julie and I both work in the art world. Julie is an artist and an art teacher, and I work in a gallery with her. And we both love art. And we found out that we also love true crime together. Murder. <laughs> Murder. <laughs> so we were like, okay, well, let's blend the two. What would happen – what happens in the world of art when murder is mixed into it? And and the art world being sculptors, painters, writers, poetry, all, movies, a little Producers, bit like photographers. all of it. It's everything to do with creative cre- – just uh, uh, creating things. And then you throw a little blood and gore and true crime mystery. 
Yes, that's hey, right. It's Wait. October 1st today. It is October 1st, the beginning of Halloween month. Yeah. <laughs> Jenna's favorite holiday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I won't talk too much about that. But it's her favorite. <clears throat> but if uh, you want to, you can listen to episode the pilot. And I do talk a lot about it. That's true. If you can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. But uh, which I, you know, what we mentioned in the pilot, the first pilot, this is our official first, second pilot. Yeah. Um, we just talked about how, you know, art is a process. It and is. this is how we're bringing it in. We're bringing an art spin to true crime, whether it be in uh paintings or descriptions or writings or novels or anything like that art is a process it's not the end result so it's whether it's about following a story or detectives finding the little puzzle pieces to solve the crime mm-hmm. and that that's uh that's how we want to bring the creative spin to it and you know what we're gonna talk we're gonna laugh we're gonna make jokes about people we're not comedians but yeah you know we definitely want to try to uh you know, lighten the mood at times. When we laugh or make fun, I just want to, you know, we want to share with people. It's it's a way for us to handle this horror. Some of these stories, actually all of them, are horrific. And we can't even fully process them. No. We try to understand them. Uh, we're not laughing at the victims, but we will laugh at probably the serial killers or the killers or uh, anybody, whether it's a prosecutors or defense people that say stupid things or do stupid things yeah absolutely. you know what i mean like uh yeah we i want we just want to be clear we wish there was no evil in the world yeah we want to focus on honoring our victims sometimes bringing light to laws that allow some people to slip through their cracks can start a movement or educate people even if one story can make one person a little more aware at some point in their lives, that would be amazing. And yes, in theory, we talked about this, we're not the ones that should change. The murderers and rapists are the ones that have to. Absolutely. But unfortunately... It's not that type of world. No. So when attacking these serious uh, topics in a podcast, we like to lighten things up with a joke or a comment just to be able to get through the story. Okay, we don't want to offend anyone. Our goal is to try to share information and laugh about it when we can. Yeah, let's start a conversation about changing the past and and moving forward. I think Michelle McNamara, who um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Michelle McNamara, Julie, but she was a true crime writer. Mm-hmm. She was a wonderful human being, a fabulous soul. We have we lost her uh, back in 2016. It was Patton Oswalt's wife. Oh yes, yes. And uh, she recently uh, the book um, uh, "I'll Be Gone in the Dark," I think it was called. I have it. I'm going to lend it to you too. She wrote the book about the Golden State Killer. Right. Her motto was, "It's chaos." be kind and i think bringing these kind of things to light lets us reflect and go okay how do we move on from here how do we change the like law like laws how do we change ourselves how do we be better humans here on out yeah that got deep man yeah sometimes we're gonna get deep yeah we have to to. just a little bit we do we do um and then i'll fart or burp yeah and we'll change the tune yeah and the dogs and come lick our face and yeah. you know that's uh that's what's gonna happen he's somewhere around here he's on the floor yeah so any do we have any do we have any like ketchup and relish it stories? um <laughs> no well you know what like we talked about how we work together yes and 
we got along and it was all good and we were friends and things are fantastic. But the reason that it started with this whole true crime thing was a case that maybe we'll do at some point. <gasps> oh, I'm so glad you. Yeah. was so It's not solved. No. I walked into work and I mentioned something about the Sherman murders. Now, the Shermans are two people that got murdered, mm-hmm. not murder-suicide. It's absolutely murder. It's a murder, whatever the newspapers say. And I started talking to it about it with my aunt. We would read every article. I was starting to write down the things like, we need to know what happened. We wanted to solve it. And when I came in and I said something to Jenna about how I was obsessed with trying to solve this murder and my goal is to solve this murder, she freaked out when I was like, said something about, I'm making a murder board. I'm figuring this out. And she freaked so out. excited. And then it, it it leaked out that Jenna was a huge, huge true crime yeah. murder-esque, like way more than I was. <laughs> And I thought, wow, this is a thing? Like, this is okay? This is okay to love this stuff? Again, I'm not loving murder. No. But I want to see bad people put away. Yes. And I would love to solve a murder. So when we get, you know, known, Jenna, they're going to come find us. They will. And they're going to ask us to help solve the Sherman murders. So so the Shermans are uh, a Canadian couple up here in the Great White North. It is great. Let's – our country is pretty awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. We've got work to do, but we're getting there. Uh, and they were billionaire pharmaceutical. Apotex, right? Yeah. Yeah. Apotex. Owner. Yeah. Oh, th- yes. Thank you. And uh, it was just a – we should totally do an episode. We should do an episode of it. I know. So we try yeah, – we should. Because it's been, what, a, two years now? Almost. Maybe not quite two years. I mean – we don't want to do something like almost too fresh. Yeah. Because we do want to respect the family. And it doesn't mean that just because a murder happened 20 years ago that we're talking about it. We're still – our thing is we want to respect the victims and mm-hmm. we want to respect the family. But, um, you know, not that I think that they would necessarily be listening uh, about it if they – well, they could, you know. You never know. Yeah. I'm not sure. But we respect them. It's more about the the unsolved – part of it yeah. that's really intriguing to us and, yes, and yes, even yes. the solved ones like it's from start to finish how did the how did the detectives how did the authorities how did they figure that out i know thinking i would love to just be it. like a homicide detective for like a day but i would definitely i definitely don't want to become a police officer no. and do you have to like work yourself up to that but then i say that but then truthfully like i think if i'm there in person i don't think i could stomach it i you know, after you recommended uh, Real Detective, which, by the way, oh yeah, highly recommend it. Yeah. It's a great show. I didn't know this, but it's actually filmed and done here in Canada too. Um, that really gave me a very real insight to the aftermath of what these things do to the lead detectives. On- yes, it's it's just. It's heartbreaking. It's gut-wrenching. You you see the tears come when they start talking about certain points in the case where either it broke or they can't figure it out and you just – you kind of die a little bit inside because somebody yeah. has to take control of these situations and sort of try to put the pieces together. And it's it, – yeah, that really – when you're talking about you can't couldn't stomach it, I think watching that made me go, this isn't – this isn't uh this is a real thing. Real people, humans deal with it and hearing their accounts about it really opened my eyes 
And that seems weird. I feel like I used to be, I'm so desensitized to talking about true crime because I've been listening to it so much over the last year, year and a half. But when you're, when you're hearing someone else retell the tale, seeing the motion right up close, those long drawn out pauses, you're like, for real, like these people put everything they had into it, their family, just everything. So you, we like 100% we respect the whole process. We respect the people who are involved in it. We respect the families. But we like mystery. We like the idea of psychopaths and sociopaths, the, the, the way their mind works. Why, why do they do these things? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, but, yeah, that's a good, that's good. That's a thank good, you. Serious down. This is it. That's our that's explanation it. of the entire podcast. Yeah. What just happened just there. I love it. And thank you for listening to the Art of Murder podcast. We're done. Okay, bye. Bye. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think we I think we might have to we should talk about some murders. Let's talk about some Oh yeah, art. you know what? Cuz it's about murder, right? Oh. Right. Oh, that's right. That's why we're here. That's we're not just is. hanging out. Now, Jenna in our in our first pilot that went <laughs> epically wrong. I did start. Uh so you're going to start this time. Yeah. That's right. She's going to. Oh, Sorry, I just. Don't hit the mic. Damn man. it. I just she just to hit the professional it. mic. just wanted to punch the mic. Punch. Punch it. Punch it. Um, but yeah, she's she's going to start. I this. am. And I'm going to sit back and I'm going to drink my tea. Mm-hmm. My bra's undone because. Yay. I hate bras. They're uncomfortable. They're the worst. I have such small breasts that I really shouldn't be wearing any anyway, but you know. It's. It's actually better for us to not to wear them. Let's talk about feminism. No. Yeah. <laughs> Burn all the bras. Burn them all. Uh, this well- bra is on fire. By the way, I'm going to bust into song randomly, and I'm very sorry. I'm a terrible singer, but it's not going to stop me. And Don't y- ever apologize for being okay. 100% you Thank and you. being fabulous you. Thank you. You know what? That's <laughs> lovely. Jenna, when in doubt, be yourself. That's right. Right. Be 100% you. Okay. Which is interesting, a good segue, because the person that I would like to tell you about, he was 100% himself. And so much so that he sort of let me – I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Okay. So this is a world that I got obsessed with when I was in college. <clears throat> Just like – The right- true crime world. Oh, no. Okay. You're, you're okay. I see. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be quiet. Go. Uh, I, I watched a movie – And the movie just transformed my brain and the way that I thought. And I started dressing. And one day, one of my college uh, teachers was like, something's different about you. What's going on? And I'm like, well, I just found punk rock. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Can I guess what movie? Yeah. Is it Salt Lake City Punk? No. Is that what it's called? Uh, um, uh, It's the one with... um, you're trying to think of the movie that you went to see that changed your world. Well, I know what I know exactly what it is. Oh, but you don't want to tell me right now. But I think I know what movie you're talking about. It's not hardcore logo. I it's, thought it was called Salt Lake City Punk. Maybe you're right, but it's got Matthew Lillard in it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I did watch that one as well. Yes. I love that movie. He's cute. He's yeah. Not anymore though. Oh, I haven't seen him lately. I'm sure not. That was like a long time ago. He's in um, the new Netflix series called uh, Good Girls or Bad Girls. It's got. Um, Salt Lake City Punk. Oh my god! Yeah, Salt Lake City. Okay, so it is. Yeah, so I've I've watched that movie. Um, and there's a movie about. uh, Oh Oh my god, Matthew Lillard. I'm sorry, I'm looking it up. 
It's true. What is this? I know. I know. He no, got, he's still cute. He's got it a he's little got bit. It. So speaking on yeah. guys who grow up and sort of start to get out of touch with their handsomeness, the person who was in this movie that I became obsessed with. Um, Which we still don't know what it is. You'll find out in a second. I know. He looks sexy as a young man and sexy as an old man. Like Gary Oldman. Oh, I'm so bad with names. Gary Oldman. The fact that I even <clears throat> knew who Matthew Lillard was is like huge, okay? <laughs> the fact that I remembered that name. Gary Oldman. So the movie is called Sid and Nancy. And Gary Oldman plays Sid Vicious. And I'm going to tell you about Sid Vicious. Is that a real person? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so I'll, I'll, uh, so yes. So the movie that I watched was Sid and Nancy, and I became obsessed with the punk scene and uh, punk music. Uh, I was sort of coming off of listening to '70s rock and roll, which was The Doors and Meatloaf, because <laughs> I love Meatloaf. <laughs> I like both the food and the the singer. So, um. Let me tell you a little bit about Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen. Oh, Spungen. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Born May 10th, 1957, in Lewisham, London, Simon John Ritchie, better known as Sid Vicious, mm. was a concoction of pent-up anger, ego, fame, <laughs> and sexiness. Because I had a I had a big crush on him. Because he was like that really, really skinny, skinny kid that was like lanky and had spiky black hair. And I loved the spiky black hair look. It was just, oh my God. I still do. I still try to convince Tyler to dye his hair black and spike and it spiky? up. And mm-hmm. spiky? Because he's tall and lanky and he could he could pass he the He totally boy. could. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm picturing it. <laughs> Let's tell Tyler. So. <laughs> do it Tyler. No, he's not here. He's playing D&D. Okay, so most people know him as the basis from the Sex Pistols, uh, the English punk band from the 70s. Do you know the Sex Pistols? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Good. No? <laughs> I do. I do. I just... Um, right off the top of your head, you're like... Um, I, know the, I know the name, yeah. and I'm sure I know the music, but say, can you sing me a little song? <laughs> I knew that this was going to happen. You're the piano man. Uh, um, I am an antichrist. I am an anarchist. Okay. Anarchy in the UK. It's all coming back, all coming back to me now. See where I I would go. It's all coming back. It's all coming back to me now. No. Okay. No. (laughs) But but I know you're talking about being in a punk band. Okay. So um, but I so when I was reading about Sid Vicious uh before I even wrote this, Sid was that guy who was sort of in the right place at the right time. He fell into some really cool gigs and then unfortunately wasted it all away on drugs and potentially murder. Mm-hmm. Murder. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Sid's parents. Don't and- do drugs. <laughs> no, don't. Well. You know. You know what I mean. Yeah. We- you people out there, you know what we mean. So so Anne Ritchie and John Ritchie were Sid's parents and they met and married while they were in service. So uh, Sid's father was a guardsman at Buckingham Palace. Wow. Yes, he was very, very well known in Buckingham Palace. <laughs> and Anne was a was part of the Royal Air Force. I almost said farce. Air Force. Do remember, remember that show? Yeah. Royal Canadian yes. Air Force. You know what? It was funny. It was. And we were young then. Yeah. And it was still funny. I, I was still probably in elementary jokes. school. Yeah. 
I can't remember when it finished, but whatever. Okay, Canadian Canadian comedy is un- underappreciated. <laughs> Just saying. So uh, they so both he had a really normal upbringing. Both parents seemed to be really normal, and Anne decided to go to Ibiza with Simon, John, Richie as a brand new baby. They went there to wait for John Senior to come, but unfortunately, <gasps> he never showed. So was he murdered? Nope. They nothing. He just, he just left them. He just left them. Mom and kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they moved back to London, and that's where she fell in love and met Christopher Beverly. So they marry, and Simon John Ritchie changes his name to John Beverly. So this is our Sid. This is our okay. Sid. It, trust me, it's going to get so less confusing names. in a moment. So at this point, he's in his teens, and he meets John Lydon. Okay. Ring a bell? Not yet. No, I know nothing. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. So he meets John Lydon, uh, who, like, I'll explain okay. in a moment. And he meets him in 1973 while atten- attending Hackney Technical College. He was gifted the name we have all known and love, Sid Vicious. Uh, so the story goes that John Lydon had a hamster named Sid, and one day <laughs> Sid bit, bit Sid. Sid. <laughs> Does that make sense? The way that I have it written down here is uh, uh, that Sid bit John Beverly because right. right now that's what his, that's name, his name is. is. So, uh, the ha- so the hamster bites John, John Beverly. Beverly and John Beverly shouts, wow, Sid is vicious. That's what he shouts. Oh. And John was like, I'm going to call you Sid Vicious. And now everything unconfuses itself. He's always going to be referred to Sid Vicious. So that's a little little bit of a thing. You know what I'm realizing? I'm shaking my head yes as I'm like listening to Jenna's story. I said like, yeah, I'm into it. But then you guys can't see this. So you're thinking like, where, where's Julie? No, I'm, I'm totally there. into it. She's there. Yeah. So now that Sid has uh, officially been dubbed Sid Vicious, um, him and his buddy John, which now we will call him Johnny Rotten. So oh. he – so Johnny Rotten and Sid – uh, hang out at this spot called Sex. It's a store. It's a retail store. Okay. Called Sex. It's called Sex. Rotten and Vicious are hanging out at Sex. You got it. Okay. And Sex used to be a BDMS oh, shop. Okay. Then turned punk retail store. This store was bought and ran by the unknown Malcolm McLaurin. And I'll tell you a little bit more about him. And fashion designer. She's like my personal favorite fashion designer. Vivian Westwood. Ooh. Do you know Vivian Westwood? I'll show you some of her work. It's you. I think you'll really, really like it. It's very creative, very outside the box, not in a standard fashion, like trying to be like Vogue and right. lots of plaid. And anyways, I'll show you some of her work. It's really cool. So I love Vivian Westwood. And uh, I got a lot of this from a book called London's Dreaming, which I read back in college. I was really obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Malcolm McLaurin once said, if Johnny Rotten is the voice of punk, then Vicious is the attitude. And he was. He totally was. He embodied it. He breathed it. Uh, it was just his every day from morning till night. Uh, McLa- McLaurin formed the Sex Pistols in 1975. And uh, Vicious followed them everywhere. And he loved stirring up shit. So he would, like, break bottles over people's heads. He would mosh pit. He would vandalize. He would spit in people's faces. He would he would just be, like, a pot stirrer. Okay, so he... Sid Vicious is not from the Sex Pistols? Not yet. 
I'll get there. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just because, you know, guys, <clears throat> don't make fun of me. I don't I don't know names. I don't know anything about pop culture pretty much <laughs> at all. Um, every now and then on those something. Yeah. So that's why I have to. Okay. She's writing. She's taking notes, which I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes. Of. I'm taking notes. I'm proud of you for that. For that? For that. Sorry. For that, that. Was that a little French? I thought so. Yeah. That's kind of what was. Us French people, sometimes we have a hard time pronouncing uh, that. So we instead of saying that, we say dat. It becomes a D. Play ball. I think like Irish too. It's one, two, three. Oh. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's everything. I also think that's um, like Newfoundland. Newf- I can't. I don't know if I can say Newfies, but Newfoundlanders. They also have um, that little bit of an accent too with the when you were saying one, two, three. Yeah. And I could say anything. By the way, in case you guys didn't hear the first pilot, I am French. Yes. So, so if you hear her speak French. Just go, because uh, it sounds so beautiful. <laughs> it does. No, I was mostly saying that because sometimes I don't know words, and sometimes my accent sneaks out a little bit, but I, it usually doesn't. I try to hide it. It's okay. I love Secret. it, though. I love it. Okay. You ready to learn more? Tell me more. Okay. Tell me more. Tell me more. Like, what? did he have a gun? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe. We'll <laughs> um, all right. Like a sex <clears throat> pistol. <laughs> yeah that was good oh i didn't think i didn't put two into oh man i'm so like i'm so into this story and i i don't get jokes i will eventually (laughs) i'll get jokes i'm funny i promise so we've got rebellious sid vicious here he's hanging off the sex pistols fame and and going all everywhere with them in london now they just played london they didn't go anywhere else at this time and the whole thing about punk, and I kind of want to explain a little bit of what the punk scene was. It was about these rebellious kids who were getting treated like kids. They, they were well into their teens. They were almost adults. The establishment was shutting shit down, treating their parents, uh, these like blue collar workers, like mm-hmm. shit, not giving them the proper labor laws. And that anger and shit on effect that happened to their parents just bled right into the kids right so the kids were the ones who wanted to stand up and make a stink yeah and so these kids would vandalize did it in a not so great way yeah but the lyrics from punk music and some of the uh actions that they took were very politicized and there was like i well i don't really know about um um like racism and uh, gender, how that played into it. All I know is a lot more of the political side. That's what I really, that's what really drew me into it. It was like, I was going to college at the time. I was paying all this money and I felt like I wasn't getting a good quality education. I felt like I was just paying into a system that was just like, we're just going to pump you out. We're going to pump you out. We're just giving you a piece of paper at the end of it and you just exactly give us a little bit of money. Yeah. And it pissed, it pissed me off because the minute I left, I, there was nothing I had. And in all fairness, like sometimes you've got to let the bird fly out of the nest and, and fail. But at the time I didn't. And I was so mad that everybody wanted to handhold and just not, give me the life lessons that I needed to succeed in life. And I was like, fuck this shit. Mm-hmm. Everyone screwed me up. I mean, I did it to myself too, but I didn't <laughs> want to admit it oh, at first. You're not going to take responsibility for that? No, I'm a rebellious, I'm a rebellious 20 something year old 
uh, who just paid like what forty five thousand dollars in uh, to go to go to college to go to college, and I walked away with nothing. I, you know, so I was I was in that like fuming state of mm-hmm. everyone's doing me wrong, nothing is right in the world, boys suck, world problems, world, yeah. yeah, 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 and. My parents had just gotten divorced at that time. Oh, great. So that yeah. really... Just adds fuel to the fire. Totally. Yeah. Because I, I was like, everything in my life is a lie now. Yeah. So oh, th- yeah. this came into my life at like the perfect time. I'm listening to all these lyrics about, you know, anarchy uh, and, and fuck the police, fuck the establishment. Don't, don't abide by the laws because they're, they're, in, they're here to box you in and make you a copycat of everybody else. So I was like, yeah. That sounds amazing. Give it all to me. And I did. And I loved it. Uh, now that I'm an older adult, I still do. But, you know, I I, I keep in line yeah. for the most part. <laughs> I drive on the, the correct side of the road and it's lovely. wait for the light to turn green. <laughs> and I make sure I walk across the street with my buddy. Watch out for cyclists. Yeah. That too. So now that we kind of know what's going on in the punk world, it was a, a, around this time that um, about a year after the Pistols started their kind of rise to fame, they yeah. were really yeah. popular because they just, when they went to these clubs, instead of just doing a normal act, Johnny Rotten would also kind of throw himself into the crowd and punch people and spit on people too to like get people mad. He wanted people mad. Right. He's got all this stuff going on. It's nice of him. I know. He just wants people to have a good time, get really riled up and stuff. Let's get your message across by spinning in someone's face. So now that the pistols are established, they're in the nightclubs. We're hearing them play. Sid, being in the right time at the right place, was asked to join the band the flowers of romance um and he became i think he he was the drummer for them so now he's in a punk band okay so he's like i love this this is amazing he got to actually play alongside some of like clash founding members uh, one in particular uh, keith levine um you probably i'll play some clash for you later i do know clash you do Keith Levine, he's related to Avril Levine, right? No. <laughs> I'm just joking, guys. It's L-E-V-E-N-E. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. I, li- I like it. I believe you. Okay. I believe you. You can say anything. <laughs> but um, he – so he's jumping around. He he gets to, like, jump around from um, band to band to band. And one of the bands that he actually gets to, to play drums for was Susie and the Banshees. Okay. Okay. Susie and the Banshees, one of my all-time favorite bands. If you look on my Pinterest page, it's like – Penguin, 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 skull, Halloween stuff, Susie and the Susie from Susie and the Band, Susie Sue, Susie Sue, Susie Sue, goth clothing, all over my Pinterest page. She likes penguins, by the way. I do. Yes. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, that's a little bit about me. Like people I are like, like um, why is there so many penguins? Well, I, I just like them. They're adorable and cute. Which is, oh my god, can I just side note this? Yeah. And I, I won't tell you about the episode. So one thing, uh, I, you know what? This is a good place to kind of pause and and talk about julie and i are big fans of my favorite murder yes big huge fans and we respect and love georgia and karen so much and what what they've brought actually was sort of they they're they paved the way for a lot of these wonderful podcasts to come out of the woodwork and this was kind of a little bit inspired by them yes yeah 
Uh, they're wonderful human beings. I think I admire them so much for talking about their mental health and yes. all that too. Being very open yeah. about everything. And I definitely think that they paved the way to make this, uh, you know, like possible for us mm-hmm. because I, you know, when you listen to the podcast, it's like you're sitting in their living room with yes. them. And it, it's a comfort level where there's so much stress and anxiety happening in our lives all the time that to put together something like this and being able to just talk, like I'm not saying that sometimes, you know, I know this is only episode two, technically really <laughs> only episode one. I feel even a lot more comfortable today yeah, than I did the first time. But knowing that you can just literally talk, like we are just talking about this and they're, you know, they're off obviously hilarious. They are. And, you know. We'll get there. You know, well, (laughs) what we're going to do is we're going to have a joint podcast of one one (gasps) episode. Yeah. When, you know. No, here's what we need to do. Hey, Georgia and Karen, this is our petition for Julie and I to have The Art of Murder be on your channel, your your murder podcast channel. Yes. We would love to, if that opportunity ever came about. Yes. Yeah. I think so. It'd be pretty awesome. Because, you know, my thing too, when we talked about it, is like, we don't want to go into competition with no. them. Because that's, no, no, no. We yeah. admire them so and much. The, yes. And even other podcasts that I've listened to, some co- comedy podcasts, um, like My Small Town Murder. Yeah. Or A Small Town Murder. <laughs> Which not, I, my, not My Small Town Murder. Just start, I started listening to when you recommended yeah, it. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I, I was thinking that because somebody had once made a comment about, oh, they're in competitions or whatever. I'm like, no, not at all. They're Mm-mm. totally different. Yeah. Any spin you can make. You know, you could even do the same murder yes. and it's still totally different. 100%. I agree yeah. with you. I look at I look at sort of last podcast on the left. Yeah. If yeah. you really want in-depth research and information, yes. those boys are amazing. Yeah. My favorite murder is there to talk about – there's just something about – I think too as women. Yes. That – that be feeling of sitting in the same, like sitting in the room with them while listening to it, them talking about their mental health, them talking about how shitty it is for women and guys too. I will, I will say that. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, I had this conversation with Tyler yesterday. I asked him, "What steps do you take to pr- at nighttime to protect yourself?" And he said, "Nothing." He's like, "I don't have to do anything." And I gave him, mm-hmm. unfortunately, a laundry list of things that I do, and so. It is more common for women to be targets. And when they talk about, you know, SSDGM, yep. it's it, it rings so true for us. And I think that's a big part of why we relate. But all of these podcasts, they bring something different to the table. Mm-hmm. And even if it's the same murder, yep. this our, our favorite podcast could do the exact same murder each time, like one week, but it'd be different for each of them. And we would take something, something different from each. Each of them, whether it was the comedy, the research, whether it's um, tidbits and side facts, anything, the personalities that are the hosts that are talking about it, we take some away something different each time, and it's still amazing. What I what where I was going at with this is that Georgia made the joke of um, it's like at Christmas time when you know the one person has a favorite thing like penguins. And they just get everything penguins. And she was talking about her mom and I died laughing. I was in the bathtub and I'm like, and I just burst was out. Was penguins? La- exactly penguins? Exactly penguins. Get out. Yep. Yep. Now, yeah, Jenna's, <laughs> I just started listening to My Favorite Murder. Actually, mm. 
I said this on the first one, but you guys aren't going to listen to the first one. Um, I just learned what a podcast was in June. We are October 1st. So in June, I learned what a podcast was. Then I learned that I could listen to things that I loved, like murder, true crime. And so then I, Jenna's like, you got to listen to my favorite murder because they're so funny. Yeah. And I have been binge listening. Now that's like three years of podcasts. I think they're on the third year of like nonstop binge listening. As soon as I get into my car, that's the first thing that's plugged in. I have kids at home, so I can't really like listen to it openly at home. Uh. Um, but <laughs> having said that, they do now when I put them to bed. I don't know. Did I say this last? It doesn't matter. Oh, I don't know. When I put them to bed, uh, sometimes uh, when I'm home, I do teach at nighttime. So sometimes they go to bed before I get home. I would put them to bed one night and then I was walking out and – uh, like on unison, so I, you know that they went three, two, one, like in secret. I heard coming from the room, Elvis, you want a cookie? <gasps> no. And they said it because it's, oh, she's getting excited. She hit her oh mic. Oh my God, I did. Um, And they said it and, uh, or their theme song. They'll sing the theme song all the time because my ringtone is yep. the My Favorite Murders theme song. That's and so funny. The my text message is is that, and now I feel like I can never change it. Nope. I mean, we, I know we have our song at the beginning, but no, I got to keep my favorite murder for now. Yeah, um, we don't have a sing song. No, we don't have theme. a sing song. My, it's yeah. Thanks, Garage Band. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Thanks, Jenna. You're welcome. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to be kind of. Uh, I'm going to do a little selfish thing. I want to shout out to Rob Croxford. If it wasn't for Rob, none of this really like would have started because he was the one who introduced me to mfm like oh, fully really i didn't know yes. that at first it was so my my next door neighbor was like have you heard of this podcast and i hemmed and hawed because po- i didn't want to listen to podcasts i don't know why i know that sounds i know silly. some people just say i don't like podcasts and i know like, have you ever listened to one they're like no it's weird to not to try something out once but uh yeah so she had said did you like, do you like this? And I went and helped Rob uh, do some print sorting. So Rob Croxford is an artist that we carry at the place that we work. He's a wonderful human being. And he played their episodes while we were working together. And I fell in love. Oh. I went home that night and I binged. And thus, passing on my love of my favorite murder, Julie, sort of kind of comes full circle. And we are now doing a podcast on art and murder. Well, look at how cute that is, guys. With a nice little bow wrapped on it. Maybe one day we, we can have him sit here and he can tell us. Ooh, one of our guests? Yeah. All right. That'd be kind of cool, actually. He probably has some really good art murders. Probably. Yeah. All right. So let's get back on track. So it's uh, 1975. Uh, like I said, Sex Pistols are together. Sid's kind of running in and out of other bands. And he he's playing for Susie and the Banshees as a drummer. And he almost got offered the lead singer role um, in the band The Damned. They were another 70s punk band. So one thing that I, I decided to do is to, today while we were working, I put together a punk playlist and i'm gonna post it if anybody wants to listen to it there's a there is a playlist uh called t-a-o-m pretty in punk so t-a-o-m is the art of murder okay for those of you who are not up on the up uh right now he's in and out of these bands it's 1977 the sex pistols are are like the hottest thing right now and rightly so y'all y'all Y'all, y'all. I don't know why I did that. 
It's May 1977, and the Sex Pistols are the hottest thing, and rightly so. Uh, their explosive introduction to the UK happened on The Bill Grundy Show. And The Bill Grundy Show at the time was, like, one of the biggest, most popular interview, like, news – not um, not like news Ed talk. Sullivan of the time? Yeah, sort of. But he was really serious. Like, oh, okay. Ed Sullivan and Johnny Carson really changed, like, that whole comedian talk show thing. But right. Bill Grundy was like – Tell me, do you think peanuts are good or bad? You know, that kind of like, okay. just very serious, right. no comedy. And during their interview, the the band was there, but they brought along like a couple. Um, oh, my gosh. Bowie. <laughs> Bowie likes interrupting things. So, oh, is that right? I know I love you too, Bowie. Um, the, the, the band like interrupted, or not interrupted, you interrupted, buddy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> but we were just trying to get to the murder part. Mm-hmm. Well, and hopefully more. But well, there will be more. Uh, there will be blood. Yes. Oh. <laughs> See what I did there? Oh. So during this interview, Grundy was sort of like, he was being an asshole. He didn't know what these kids were. He was, he basically went into the the interview was like, so uh, I guess you guys are uh, the biggest thing right now uh, in uh, the punk scene. <laughs> oh, wow. That was a really – I'm usually better at British accents. but And, he, and so he's, okay, he's like being a jerk. These yeah. guys are swearing at him. They're like – In the interview? Mm-hmm. First time that swear words were said live on, on British television. Yeah. Johnny Rotten is like, are you fucked? Are you fucking mad? Like <laughs> – so, because if it doesn't even sound like a swear when you swear with fucking an, yeah and it, are you fucking off your rocker <laughs> he just it's like i'm there yeah yeah i looked over and i was like whoa where'd jenna go? i know i'm johnny rotten now yeah during this interview grundy kind of looked over at Susie sue who is the lead singer from Susie and the band she's not yet famous at this time and made a pass at her like he just was like you know you would look cute with all of this makeup and stuff on and did it like really oh. creepy and so the boys called him out on it and was like why are you doing that you're hitting on a 16, 16 17 year old girl right now on live television go fuck yourself broadcast gets cut they get escorted out and it was requested that the tape get destroyed but it's there you can find it on youtube i was just gonna say i want to see this interview mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so uh, i'll show you afterwards and i'll post it if i can they had this reputation. This was their first introduction to like every home in the UK and parents were pissed off. They were sort of cluing in as to why their kids were dressing like that. And here, this is the why. These like hooligan kids. And we all know their their one song, Anarchy in the UK. It, Even I know that. It's it's a great song. Well, it is on the Rolling Stones' uh, 500 Greatest Hits of All Time. And it sits at number 56 the generation that at that johnny rotten and sid vicious were born into were like i said earlier they were rebelling against the the social alienation that they were feeling economic frustration because it was really hard times right now um and the government much of what we're dealing with right now in politics about the lgbtq community racism misogyny all of it is sort of what they were rebelling against and and talking about in their in their music it's just it's the same story, different time. Mm-hmm. Nothing really changes. Slow mm-hmm. change. We're getting there. But, you know. And the other part of it, too, is they were making fun of 70s rock at the time. So, like, bands like Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Styx, 
the Eagles, and Meatloaf. Oh, Meatloaf. Yeah. Two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to do another playlist for our listeners to do like a a 70s rock playlist of some of my favorite 70s music. Do you have any suggestions? Let me know. Oh, yeah. I got tons. Yeah? No. Good. Oh, darn. So now Sid's really, really well known in the London punk scene. And unfortunately, Glenn Matlock, who was the basis for the Sex Pistols, leaves. Okay. So here we go. This is where here we go. This is the not the climax, but this is the part where everything starts to come together, and you you will finally realize why. Why the fuck did she pick this story? (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm I'm learning a lot about music and yeah, you know, Sex Pistols history. Yeah, it's really fascinating the whole punk scene in general. Again, I will recommend the book uh, London's Dreaming. It's a great book if you can find it. So what is Malcolm McLaurin to do? He has no basis. You obviously want to find someone who's really good at playing the bass, right? Right. Nope. No. So no. Sid had the attitude, but he could not play bass to save his life. Oh. At all. And, and he was asked by Malcolm McLaurin to be the bass player to fill in for Glenn Matlock. And he accepted. He was like, sure, let's do this. When they finally got him on stage... He was so bad at playing the bass that they had to unplug his um, amp from his bass. And even on their records when they were recording, it was actually Steve Jones, who was their guitarist, who did the bass portion on the album. Really? Yeah. He contributed a little bit to lyrics and some like instrumental portions, but not a whole lot. It wasn't until they filmed their like... Uh, there was a movie that they filmed together after they broke up about the history of Sex Pistols that he finally recorded something. Uh, and I'll I'll get to that a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now Sid's in the band. During this time, Johnny Rotten introduces him to Nancy Spungen, the love of his life, the person who completes him, the person he would die for, his everything. Like, this is our Romeo and Juliet and Courtney Love, Kurt Cobain side of thing kind of story. Right. This is where it starts. There's a re- an- I'm going to recommend another good book called uh, "And I Don't Want to Live This Life," and it was a book written by Deborah Spungen, hit her mother, Nancy's mom. And I read this a while ago, uh, and it's really it's very interesting to see the side of a different side of Nancy because when I when you watch sit in the movie Sit and Nancy, when you do Sex Pistol research. She's really painted in a very negative light, and I get why now after reading this book. You sort of see both – there's two sides to every story. In the book, it talks a lot about her behavioral problems. She was like a terrible kid, and and not because she wanted to. So she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, The the quote – one of the quotes in the book is, she came out of the womb kicking, screaming, and biting. Right. She was – she was – a whole sort of basket case person. She's and but let me say this, and and I'm not making fun of her because overall Nancy was it, she was super super intelligent. She actually got into the University of Colorado, right? But she kind of fucked it all up because she didn't go to class, didn't mm. do her work, and her dad even had to go and vouch for her to stay in school. <clears throat> yeah. The end result, she got banned from Colorado. Colorado. The state. Mm-hmm. She was completely banned from, yeah, I know. <laughs> I 
How do you get banned from a state? That I didn't really look up. So if anyone wants to. I feel like there's more to that story there. And I, and probably, but you know. I, I think it's, in the, I, it's been so long since I actually read the book. So it could have been probably addressed and I just don't remember. But so now Sid has Nancy in his life and Nancy was in New York after she got banned from college in Colorado and it was shiny, it was new. And the big thing there and the reason why she went is because there were so many famous people in New York. She was hanging out with the Ramones. She was hanging out with Rolling Stones, Patti Smith, and all of these other like really famous musicians, including mm-hmm. the New York Dolls, um, who I love. So and she's a, unfortunately a train wreck. She got into drugs at this – well, she was into drugs very, very early on in life, but this is where it really takes – a toll on her. Um, she works as a stripper and a sex worker to make money and hears about the London punk scene going on. And so she decides to move to London. And so this is where the two, Nancy and Sid, finally meet. She's like, this guy's famous. I'm going to just latch on. And he took it. She was giving him all this attention. And I think, I think, in my own personal opinion, they truly did love each other. There was some genuine passion for, for each other. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll tell you why I think so later on in the end of the story. Everything will come back. Don't worry. Nancy introduces Sid, unfortunately, to heroin. Uh, this is yes. a bad part of the – and one thing that I'll note is this whole timeline is from 19, uh, 1975 yeah. to 1979. Okay. Barely even five years, this whole thing kind of snowballs and ends. It's weird. Usually stuff like this takes years and years and years of buildup, but it was in like four years and that's it. So after starting to do heroin, he was it was really fucking him up and the band was noticing As and it, it, would. it wasn't good that he yeah. wasn't there when he they were doing shows and they were about to head out on an American tour and made him get clean. So he finally got clean and he's doing really, really good, um, sober as he could ever be. And they go on tour. And it, actually, one of the shows, he carved in his chest with a razor blade, give me a fix. This is how oops, how punk he was. And people loved it. Like, people came to see this stuff. There's a San Francisco show that happened uh, two and a half weeks into this, this American tour. And it's a gong show. Everyone's crying. Like, everybody in the audience was like, um, anarchy, anarchy, God save the queen, God save the queen, trying to get these guys to play these specific songs and johnny ron's pissed off he's like i'm no longer doing this for myself no longer doing this for the the message that i'm trying to get out there all i'm doing is being an entertainment act for the masses people are paying just because the music is catchy they're not actually listening to the lyrics because no one's mosh pitting no one was really like causing a, a ruckus and he leans on on this amplifier and there's a video of it and he's just like Really? Are you okay with the, sh- the like the shenanigans that are going on here? Are you guys like off your rocker? I'm done, and that was it. Everybody you- thought he was joking when he was like, "We're done," but it was officially the day the Sex Pistols sp- split. Wow. Mm-hmm. So everybody decides to go their separate way, except Sid and Nancy. They go to New York and decide to stay in. The very famous hotel, the Chelsea Hotel. Have you oh. heard of the Chelsea Hotel before? No. You know what? I thought I was thinking something else at first. That's not the murder hotel. Is it the murder hotel? Well, there's been a been a couple deaths there. 
Okay, then, well, I've heard of it then. Yeah? Okay. So, uh, at the Chelsea Hotel, like, Bob Dylan has stayed there, Tennessee Williams. Yes. Jackson Pollock. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And our very own Joni Mitchell. Do you know who Joni? She's a singer, folk singer. <laughs> she's a little bit of everything singer. Pretty lady too. But uh, so they're at the Chelsea Hotel and they get a call a couple of months later from McLaurin, Malcolm McLaurin, asking them to return to film the history of Sex Pistols film. And I forget. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Anyways, I don't have time to look it up. But they film this film they film this movie about the history of sex pistols and during that time this is the first time that sid actually records something instrumental and and lyrics so he didn't know how to play the bass before he could play the drums but that's about it and oh also fun fact his dad was a semi-professional trombone player mm. and he could actually play the trombone too he used to busker with Johnny Rotten for some cash and people would pay them to actually like just shut up and stop because they were so annoying. Oh. Yeah. So uh, he could play. And so this is the very first song that Sid ever records, which is on his self, like his album. I'll play it for you. sounds like he's not sober like awful yeah so that's that's the live version of it and actually here is that him that's him ew <laughs> what oh my god i think he's adorable what? i have weird taste what can i say oh no i have no weird taste. no no first of all this is like no so he records i did it my way and after he's done shooting the film he records two more singles come on everybody and and something else uh, and thus a record was born and it was called Sid Sings it debuted in 1979 definitely not a successful solo career uh, but Nancy was like adamant about being his manager and like taking control over every aspect of his career which did not did not bode well but no one was <laughs> buying the punk act anymore so after like the chess carving he would try to continue like not carving himself but throwing again glass bottles and just going back to his old antics didn't work no nobody wanted to see it anymore it was over and it's done not with you anymore no when you're 19 okay but when you're 24 25 yeah yeah 20 oh, just shit. a year later oh, just this year isn't later. a span of four years oh yeah that's right you said that how quick well because glam punk sort of like the new york dolls were becoming even bigger than they were and and we're getting close to the 80s now where bands like new order was like that new wave alternative they did blue monday the song blue monday um like do you want me to agree with you on some of these things no no, as no. If i'm supposed to know listen guys i've told you 
Jenna is saying all these bands and you can make fun of me all you want. <laughs> I have no idea what she is talking about. I question this one. For- not, I like, not even a little bit. Like, I know when you say The Clash, yeah. When you said Sex Pistols, yeah, I knew who they were in a sense of... Do you know who the Buzzcocks are? No. Like, you have to understand, I was raised... Misfits? In, in a sheltered home where we didn't have music. Um, we were French, so we wouldn't even be listening to English music. We did listen to, like, like solid gold bubblegum kind of music, like 50s, 60s. Yeah. That's what we listened to, and that's the only introduction to music, you could ask my brothers, that we've had until I bought my first album, my, sorry, <gasps> my first CD. Mm-hmm. I was in grade eight. That was my first CD ever. And it was Aqua. <gasps> shut the front okay. door. My first CD. Oh, shut I'm the front so door. All of a sudden, you don't swear anymore. I, um, was Aqua. I'm so proud of you. My first tape I had. Now you'll be proud of this, which was not a tape I stole from my brothers, and just because I heard it so many times, I was like, "Oh, I know this." We got a tape. I don't know where. It was Meatloaf. <gasps> so I oh. knew that tape. Um, and I, that's the only song, that's the only music I could listen to. Like we didn't have TV. We didn't have, like, we didn't have a radio. Like, we didn't listen to music unless it was on our way to our cottage up to Manitoulin Island. We listened to solid gold, like, uh, who wrote the book of love? Oh. Tell me, baby, tell me quick. Like all those. Darlene love. Like all that, mm. all that stuff. Other than Go that. Go into the chapel. And we're gonna get married. Yeah. Oh, All that stuff, stuff up until Aqua. I don't know anything. Like New Kids on the Block. I was not. A, I don't step know. I was too. Step. I mean, I know that's not. Oh, baby. But um, I didn't know any music. So up until Aqua, and then you, you're, you know, like I know that Madonna was a big thing and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I'm not. But no, I know I nothing. I listened to all this stuff in college. Like that's where I got my first taste of punk was in college because Motown was what I grew up. My dad. Yeah, okay. So yes, Motown. Motown. Yeah. My mom listened to Bobby Sherman and Elvis. I have no idea. I still to this day do not know who Bobby Sherman is, but she talked a lot about Bobby Sherman and had a record of Bobby Sherman yeah. and his blue eyes. Yeah. That's all I knew about him. But oh, she listened to the Beatles too. Like uh, the but most of like my love of like music and getting to know under punk gave me the introduction to a genre and culture that I had never experienced before. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know both. I wanted to know the music inside and out and the culture and why it existed. And it kept like I kept snowballing that. Then I watched the Doors movie um, by Oliver Stone that had um, Val Kilmer in it as Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. Mm, sexy man uh and and then i wanted to know more about the psychedelic rock era and i just started pairing music with culture and and i feel like my tastes and my knowledge of music actually kind of started when i was in college right so growing up it was it growing up it was spice girls and backstreet boys unfortunately and aqua Excuse me? i do love did aqua. you say unfortunately that mm. is music no, no, you can't. Mm. We can't even be friends if you're gonna start <clears throat> ragging. <laughs> I, I mean, if you listen to our pilot episode, we did do a lot of Spice Girls. We did. Sing songs we did. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. So now we're at a point where we're finally getting to the nitty gritty. This is this is it. This is a turning point right now. So Excellent. the article that I read was by a lady named Jessica Wakeman. 
it was a Rolling Stone article and it had a lot of really good juicy details about Sid and Nancy's life after the Sex Pistols and after his album. Basically, they did nothing. It was just they stayed at the Chelsea Hotel and Nancy dealt drugs and she still did sex work. And Sid just tried to to sort of do the music thing, which was not was not working mm-hmm. out. Okay. Clearly. So he, let's get into this article and let's get into the murder. So on October 12th, 1978, at 10 o'clock p.m., Nancy Spungen, she was 20 at the time, was found dead in their Chelsea hotel room. See, I didn't even know who died in this in your story. That's how little I know about this. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I thought maybe she was a killer. Okay. October 12th is kind of just around the corner. And I actually looked on the calendar last night to see if October 12th fell, fell on a Monday or else I would have done this. But it's close enough, right? So we're coming up on the anniversary. So this is 1978. So according to reports, on the eve of the murder, many residents recall hearing arguments coming from the room. After the argument ceased, Nancy decided to shoot up and she took like a couple different uh, drugs. She was on a whole bunch of stuff. She did like fentanyl and, op- oh, and a bunch fuck. of opioids and amphetamines. Um, and then Sid took about 30 tablets of this drug called uh, Tuinal. T-U-I-N-A-L. I don't know. 30 what. tablets. Yes. Well, if the first three don't go work. It's basically what their, their job is to knock you out. So 30 tablets knocks you out and to the point where you don't hear murder happen. Huh. Mm-hmm. It was uh, – so Sid woke up at 9.30. He was covered in blood and couldn't find Nancy in their bed. So he decided to go look, and she was found in the bathroom on the floor, dead. She had bled out from a stab wound to the abdomen. It's 10 o'clock when she's found. He finds her at 9.30. He wakes up at 9.30. So half an hour is going by. Okay. So he he finds her at 9.30. Half an hour is going – or, yeah, half an hour has gone by, and she's officially – Announced dead at 10. So what's going on with like that little bit of time? It's uh, it's a bit weird. He. So like does he wait half an hour to call somebody? Yes. Okay. Essentially he finds her. He calls down to the front desk to ask for help. But in, but instead he just goes into the hallway and he, he was actually found completely out of his mind. Uh, panicked. He was scared. They said that he was really agitated and they arrest him. Right. And charge him for murder. Right. Um, Nancy's mom, Deborah, in her book, says that she feels 100% sure that Sid is her killer. But uh, police say that during confrontation in their hotel room, they had done heroin before the initial incident had happened. So they were already drugged out while the incident was happening. And the police say that the how it happened was at, while they were arguing – Sid had taken a Bowie knife and just sort of like accidentally cut her abdomen. Right. Then there's theories. Mm -hmm. So there's different theories. Okay. This one is a bit more plausible because the one thing that this investigation doesn't mention or anybody really mentions when they were doing their research, like collecting all the evidence, is that there was a shit ton of money missing from their hotel room. Yeah. Nancy was working with a drug dealer named Rockets Red Glare. Of course, because that's, you know, (laughs) what else are you going to become if your name is Rockets Red Glare? America. That's just America. (laughs) Uh, And so she was working with this drug dealer. They had 
they had some conference. There was a confrontation that happened a couple days before. Either Nancy wouldn't give him money or he wasn't giving her the drugs that she needed to sell. And they got into a huge fucking fight. He he later entered their hotel room while both were passed out. Sid 100% passed out. But Nancy woke while Rocket was in their room stealing the money. And she confronted him. She's like, I don't think so. Don't you dare take my money. How dare you? And so in a fit of rage, he ha- is the one initially who has the Bowie knife because it wasn't found. And he's the one who stabs her, takes the money, and leaves. But she's still alive after he leaves. And she, instead of calling for help, and what I should say is, Sid was found with blood on him. And some of the theory from people who looked more into the um, the case, uh, especially about the the money being missing said that one of the reasons why he was covered in blood could have been because uh, Rocket pushed her on top of Sid to put her into the bed and just, like, get her away so she wouldn't come back and attack him. And he was kind of half-ass on the bed, and when she fell, she fell in places where he was covered in blood. And instead of going and getting help, she crawled all the way to the bathroom to go take opioids to fix her her pain essentially but not realizing how bad she was bleeding out she got mm. she doped up and died just like that all right <clears throat> it's uh it's pretty sad it's sad because cases like this where police just go oh it's an open and shut case two druggies one's dead one's covered in blood it's an open and shut case. But nobody nobody said that the um, the drug dealer, like, how do we know the drug dealer went in the hotel room? This is a theory? I'll tell you why. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, Rocket Red Glare went as far as admitting to the murder one night at a club to a bunch of his friends. It was early 1979. He was overheard by several people confessing to the robber and murdery of Nancy, even going as far as producing blood-stained money he had stolen from their room. He said it was Nancy's blood. Overall, her murder wasn't investigated properly, like I was saying. They they didn't investigate the money. They didn't follow up with Red Rocket. They didn't interview key witnesses except anybody who was in the hotel. No one no one interviewed the people who had talked to them earlier that day. Nothing. They just immediately pinned it all on, on Sid. <clears throat> so now there's a third theory. That it was actually botched suicide. Now, I'm going to go, I'm going to kind of veer off here, and then I'll get back onto the road. All right. We're going to take a side, dark side street. A little, <laughs> We're gonna go a into little the exit that we should not take. Yeah, no, no. So Sid is in jail, and he gets out thanks to the recording label that the Sex Pistols, through all of their kerfluffle and getting signed and then released, signed and released from contrast, contracts, Virgin Virgin Records was the company that kept them on. They were the one to foot the $25,000 bail. So nice of them. Richard Branson? I don't know. Maybe. He's, Probably. Yeah. He's that would have been him, wouldn't it? It was. Oh, thanks, bud. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I know some shit. Yeah. <laughs> You're thanking him on behalf. Um, so Sid's out. He's still a mess. He actually tries to kill himself. And he was really unsuccessful. And he's obviously in pain. He There's a lot of accounts of like how he keeps telling people like, I need to be with her. This shouldn't have happened. This wasn't right. We need to be together. Oh. Mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Right. So he's lashing out 
and then he gets into a bar fight with Patty Smith's brother. Do you know Patty Smith? No. I'll play some music for. She's awesome. You would I think you would really like Patty Smith's music. All right. She's amazing. She's, I believe you. Yeah. So his bail gets revoked and he's back in jail. So they make him get sober. He's sober again and finally gets out. His friends decide to throw him a party. Right. Okay. This is where this this was the hard part about this whole story for me is how shitty his friends were after after this whole this whole uh, adventure and then uh, like devastation. His friends were the ones who kind of ruined this whole thing, and it was because they decided to throw him a party and they brought heroin to mm. to it. And key witnesses at this party say, like, Sid was on good spirits. He was happy. He was talking about how he needed to get back into the music, how, like, he needed to keep going for her, for Nancy. But his friends injected him with heroin, and he OD'd. Luckily, they revived him at first. He was revived. He was up. The last time every the party members saw him, he seemed fine, and they put him back to bed. I, okay. It's unfortunate, though, because uh, – it didn't. It didn't really end well for him, um, because on uh, on February second, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. So he killed her. Well, allegedly he kills her in on October twelfth, nineteen seventy eight. Where a couple months later, this party's being thrown, and on the morning, his mom actually finds him dead in his bed. So he died of a second heroin overdose a second second because the first one he was actually revived yeah and then he shoots up a second time and then that, that same was the, night it was the fatal blow yes and his mom Holy found him in the morning shit. the next day mm-hmm. the weird thing is so even more theories come out of this so the reason why i said it it was a potential suicide pack was because ann beverly his mom found a note apparently um in hmm. the jacket the other theory is that Anne gave Sid the final dose, uh, like the deathly dose, the dead death, deadly dose of heroin that killed him, because she knew her how much her son was in pain, and she be, maybe potentially from this note reading it, she knew what needed to be done, and and gave, like, injected the final blow to him, and the note read this. Okay, Anne is his mom. This is his mom. This is what his mom claims the note says. We had a death pact, and I have to keep my end of the bargain. Please bury me next to my baby. Bury me in my leather jacket, jeans, motorcycle boots. Goodbye. No. And that is a story of Sid Vicious and the murder of Nancy Spungen. So, so the first time – so <laughs> let's go back to his friends forcing him to do drugs. Was that a convenient like, – was he even forced? Because he wanted to then, right? Well, if this is true, if the letter is true. He wanted to die. Potentially. But the weird thing is, is certain witnesses say that he was in good spirits and talking about his music and where he wanted to go in the future. Yeah. So it's very – there's a lot of I, – I will say, okay, the future thing, okay, but I'm not an expert. We all know that. We are not experts <laughs> by any means. We tell stories. From my experience of what I've been through in life and um, therapists that have, you know, talked about certain aspects that happened in my life, a lot of times they're talking about suicide and they say that 
some some people again this is what i heard from them uh will wait till they get into a happy when they feel happy mm-hmm. when they feel happy when everything is going well when they know that good things could be happening that's when they end it so that the bad can't come in hmm. so they end it on a good note so they say that if they're in a slump like depression up and down they will wait till they actually become happy so that they can end and feel like that forever really yes i didn't know that i i had unfortunately i had two friends who committed suicide when i was quite young they were 13 and i mean you don't know what the hell's happening in the world so to me i was very confused it was almost like i was confused before i could even cry because i didn't understand Mm -hmm. and these are people that i grew up with and they were in my class um and that so you know we had help come in and then the even in high school it wasn't regarding that but we had more help come in just talk to classes about you know mental health and suicide which was really good at that time because you don't get that like you know you need so much more we need so much more education now yes and obviously back then clearly but i i mean really if i think back we were almost in a sense lucky that we were able to have at least that one lesson um, like, <coughs> bless you. Sorry. Um, not that we should, we should have more than one lesson, but I mean, I forget who he was. He was somebody that came in and talked to us about suicide and that kind of thing. And then he, as an example, brought up, so this was in a different town. So I went to high school in a different town than my grade school. And he brought up in that class, this was uh, four years later, about my friend's suicide. Hmm. And he didn't know who I was or anything like that. And he was saying how this and that and whatever, because he's the one who had come talk to us then. And he was talking about how, you know, nobody knew how to react and whatever. And that was just kind of eerie that this guy came around and he was the same guy yeah. that helped me. But it was him who kind of said that and was, uh, you know, and we, we did some research about it at that time. Obviously, this was a long time ago, so there's probably lots of research. But I'm just saying, if he's talking all positive yeah. stuff, a lot of times I, that's they wait till they get a little bit. Oh, that's happy. fascinating. Yeah, that's really fascinating to me. I didn't, I didn't know that. I, you know, makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I understand that. Yeah. Again, not. A, I'm not a professional. We are not professionals. This is just you know, talk about what somebody, a professional at the time, said. Yeah, and our own but, experiences too, because I like we we both deal with mental health stuff. Yeah. We've been in the face of dealing with uh, suicide and addiction. I mean, myself included. Uh, we're and we're not expert experts, but we're experiencers. We know we. I think we yeah educate, but from experience. Yeah, our, the experiences that we've had, yeah, whether it be personal or well, it's still personal, yeah. whether it be for, to us or somebody else around us. Yeah. You know, well, that's that's what we're coming from. That's where we are. So obviously our our viewpoints yeah. are not everybody's viewpoints, but this is just us talking about ours. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Thank you for sharing. Thank you. That's insane. Yeah. And that's how we ended on that's, that note. Yeah. I think that's a good – I think that was a good note. To, yeah, that's a good note to end on. Wow. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> so uh, can we take a TV – TP break? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and Sinkia's got the flow. Everybody's got to go. Yep. All right. Okay. We're back. All right. Well, we're back, but you guys didn't know that we were going. No. You had a tea. I had tea. Well, it's it's brewing now. And, and some chocolate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and chocolate. Okay. <laughs> Julie, I think it is your turn. It is my turn. Now, yeah. mine's not very nice. Not that yours was nice. 
But it was kind of nice in a sense of like... It's different. It wasn't nice. I don't mean nice. No, no, no. You know what I mean. You probably don't. Let's just move on. I do know what you mean. Okay. Well, first of all, I would like to uh, make note that I have got my information from a book called The World's Most Bizarre Murders by James Marison and a website called allthatsinteresting.com. All right. So again, I'm essentially just rereading you what they wrote in like sometimes my own words. We'll see. So <laughs> you did all the work. I hope you guys that I wasn't going to do. Yeah, well, there you, you go. helped with my laziness. Thank there you. you. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, yeah, make sure some things. Um, okay. Yeah. So I hope you guys didn't just eat because this is not pleasant. This name is um, Isaiah Sagawa. All right. What? So first off, before we get to who that is, I'd like to tell you a little bit about cannibals for a moment. All right? Yes, I said cannibals. Did you go there? Let me just bring my mic a little closer. Oh, my God. Okay? It's happening. I got chills, Julie, by the way. Uh, so a trait that cannibals usually share is that they rarely rush their food. They don't like to waste or throw out, and I quote, cuts uh, away that can be stored and eaten later. While some of us may not want to eat entrails or internal organs, I'm assuming of like animals that we have eaten, okay? Uh, cannibals know no such reservations. Like the fact that they can, they like the fact that they can keep it for a tasty snack or even a starter. I warned you guys, okay? This is not nice. So, Gulp. when it comes to human cuisine, cannibals who are faced with a listening audience love to go into details about the slight change in taste and texture of each body part. Yes, Jenna. Holy I'm shit. going there. While in the kitchen, they can prove themselves adept in the ways of pickling and creative and in inventive and inventive in the use of daring culinary combinations. The most favorite is the stew. <laughs> what? It's not funny. It's not funny, but it's funny. Oh, I want to make a silence of the lamb joke. But never mind. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, no. Whatever they may, yes. they may make, they tend to wrap tiny morsels up and carry it around with them so they can eat on the go. You know, as a healthy snack alternative instead of heading for fast food. Are you fucking kidding me? No, I'm serious. This isn't fucking goldfish. No, it gets worse. Oh, no. This whole story is horrible. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> All right. So on April 26, 1949, Isaiah, Isaiah Sagawa, I'm going to call him Sagawa from now on is born. All right. So that is our story today of this so-called Japanese cannibal. Mm. Now the story doesn't fit the typical cannibal ways or profile. He tells the police at one point, he, and I quote, consumed as much of his victim as he could stomach in a 24 hour feeding frenzy. And he ate most of her raw. Yeah. This is not pleasant. Blech. Okay. Sagawa was short. He was under five feet and skinny with legs that looked like pencils. <laughs> I want to make a joke about Jenna's type right now. But <laughs> sounds, just... sounds like my, you know, my dream guy. Oh, God. He was a bright boy with a very high IQ and a son of a millionaire who enjoyed a privileged upbringing in his hometown of Tokyo, uh, where he demonstrated a natural talent of languages. Hmm. But at an early age... He was prone to nasty tantrums, and from 12 years old, he suffered violent nocturnal seizure, seizures and nightmares. Ouch. That's, that's not fun. No, especially as a kid. Yeah. Holy crap. I know. It's Don't feel too bad for him. 
Okay. I mean, you know. I trust you. His cannibalistic thoughts started at a very young age, okay? When he was in grade one, see how many don't feel bad for him? He noticed his classmates' thighs and thought, and this is an actual quote, mmm, that looks delicious, end quote. Yeah. Holy crap on a cracker. Where did we just go? Yeah. He started lusting or drooling in hunger over boys when he was young, but then it soon turned to blonde Western woman as he became a teenager. Now, he blames the media's representation of Western women, like Grace Kelly, for sparking his cannibalistic fantasies. Can we take a moment to blame Grace Kelly? Beautiful Grace Kelly? Yeah. I was just going to say, because she's beautiful. Well, that's what he likes. Also, Rear Window is an amazing movie, and she's fantastic in it. Excellent. Let's all go watch it right now. Let's not even talk about this fucker. Um, So, while some people would think of their sexual desires and wanting to sleep with someone, he dreamt of eating them. So, some things were a little bit misplaced, okay? Now, he said he dreamt, he never dreamt of killing them, just eating him. Just like a little nafes. He didn't say that. I just said that. Oh, shit. Jenna, sound effects. This is horrible. This is horrible, but... You got you to gotta do it to make it through the story. Yeah. Okay, so while studying English literature in Waco University in Tokyo. Now, it's Waco. I kind of want to call it Waco. It's W-A-K-O, so I'm not actually sure. But <laughs> Waco University in Tokyo. <laughs> Sagawa made his first attempt to eat someone, attacking a German woman. He stalked her and followed her back to her apartment. He tried to knock her unconscious while she was asleep. Now... This was a badass German lady. She fought back and fended him off, and then he fled, only to be arrested shortly thereafter. Oh, yay, you think the story's over? It's not. Sagawa served only 10 days. <gasps> 10 days in the Kitazawa police station for the attack. What an asshole. It gets worse. In 1977, now on prescribed tranquilizer... He left for Sorbonne Academy in Paris to further his studies in French literature. He claims once there, his cannibalistic urges took over. September 1978, he bought a 22 caliber rifle. Fun times. Yeah. Uh, this is a quote right from Sagwa. Almost every night I would bring a sex worker, that I paraphrase there, home and then try to shoot them from behind. Uh, It became less about wanting to eat them, but more an obsession with the idea that I simply had to carry out this ritual of killing a girl no matter what. End quote. So, see, yeah, even with the change of scenery, being in Paris now, Segwa had a hard time making friends or getting lucky with the ladies. I wonder why. Now, he says it's because he was under five foot tall. Oh, come on. Yeah. Uh, so students described him as childish, childish, sensitive, and embarrassing. He was regarded as an outcast and then a pest, which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so by 1981, he was still there. Uh, a Dutch woman named Renee Hartfelt took pity on him and agreed to help him with his German. And of course, Saigua fell head over heels in love with her. Wait, wait, wait. How old was she? She was 25. And he and, and he was how, how old? Oh, God. Uh, oh, shit. 
Yeah, that's true, eh? I'm wondering, like, what the age difference was. He was born in 1949, so, uh, you do math. No, don't make me do it. 1949? Is that right? We'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. 1940, let's see. Yeah, no, that, that, that's right. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it's right. Um, Jenna's gonna do the calculations. So, now, he fell in love with her, okay? We, yeah. So this, this lovely, lovely Dutch woman took pity on him, was like, don't worry, I'll be your friend. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so she was tall, she was beautiful, intelligent, and she was essentially like his perfect girl, just the type he was drooling over for years. So like, you know, his, yeah, whatever. The perfect kill? <sighs> So he had her over for dinner to gain her trust. <laughs> no. He just regular dinner. Oh. Okay. Apparently, he invited her over one evening and when she had her back to him, he took out his gun and tried to shoot her. The gun didn't go off. It was like a jam or something, or whatever. Uh she didn't notice and finished up the evening and walked out alive and well. Later, he confessed that that and I quote again, Made me more hysterical, and I knew that I had, I had simply had to kill her. No, that I simply had to kill her. End quote. So the very next day, he invited Hartfelt, Hartevelt, could be Hartevelt, over to his apartment to read some German poetry, and then promptly declared his love for her. And because he was super awkward and didn't know how these things worked, he also asked her to go to bed with him. That's the best first date I've ever heard. She refused. Oh! You don't say. Now, I think you know where this is going, but Sagawa Sagawa acted like nothing happened and asked her to resume reading the poetry, which he then recorded. At 5.30 p.m., he fetched his rifle and shot her once in the back of the head. This poor lady who was the, the only one to show him kindness. And this is what happens. Now, later on, Sa- Sagawa wrote a book called Into the Fog, and it made him a whole lot of money. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Uh-oh. Um, in this book, he describes this very scene and what happens next. Now, he changes the names of the characters, but we can only assume that, assume that it's more or less what happened in real life. So that in the book, the story is set in Paris. The... Uh, they say the hero of the story, but I uh, definitely what? not the hero of the story. No. Um, the lead of the story is called Akito Kamura, a 30-year-old Japanese student who is studying literature at Sorbonne. His teachers greatly appreciated him, but other students say he is distant and arrogant. Kamura is lonely and spends most of his time listening to classical music and working on his thesis. Then one day, Kamura meets a student from Holland... She is friendly and open, and they quickly become friends. One day, he invited her to his apartment for dinner. After she turns down his advances, he shoots her. (gasps) Yeah. But, yeah. So, sound familiar? Now, it's possible Sawaga, Sawaga, sorry, exaggerates, no, Sagawa, sorry, exaggerates some of the next details to increase shock and therefore sales but his descriptions of what Kimura, the character, does next with the body pretty much lines up with the results of the autopsy and the crime, crime photos. All right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want to hear this, 
just fast forward about one minute. Why does it get worse? Well, it's what he does to... No. It's happening. No, no, no. <clears throat> and believe it or not, I left things out. Uh, in between the declarations of love and gratitude to the lifeless corpse, no part of her was taboo. The more flesh he eats, the more curious he becomes. Kimura, the character, starts off by sinking his teeth into her buttocks. For some reason, this gives him a headache, so then he decides to hack into the body with a knife and starts chewing on the tasteless fat, which he writes is reminiscent of tuna. Oh. After engaging with sex with the corpse... He roasts her hip in a pan. Now, this is in the book. Again, we don't know. He roasts her hip in the pan and seasons it with salt and mustard. While eating her, he listens to her voice on the audio tape. No! He then bakes one of her breasts and eats that too. Oh, wow. Next, Kimura turns in for the night and takes what, takes what remains left of the corpse with him. In the morning, with a renewed appetite, surprised that she isn't too badly decomposed, he immediately starts chewing on her calf and ankle, moves to her foot, before deciding to eat her armpit. <laughs> I don't... Oh my god. I don't even know. Sorry. I know, and the I, armpit, I wanted to... But... I, had to, I stopped there. I had a break there, because I thought... Oh, okay. Like, is he just Apologize naming... for laughing, but... Is he naming body parts? No, well, it's, again, this is his description in... In the book. Uh -huh. So we don't know if that happened exactly. Again, like I said, there's some of the stuff with the cuttings and this and that does match up with the autopsy report. But oh, man, I don't even know how you can eat an armpit. There's not really anything there. It's just like skin and then a hole. I'm yeah. wondering if he just messed up. Like, did I don't know. I don't know. Whoa. Oh, my God. It's, it's, uh, this part is almost done, guys. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is I'm you hooked me. I'm I'm fucking hooked. The armpit did it for you? It was totally the armpit. The armpit. Uh, so at this time, he says the whole apartment smells like fried chicken. And now there are flies buzzing around the body. He says a final farewell and then begins to dismember the body, only stopping for snacks now and then. He plays around with the internal organs for a while and then puts her head in one bag and the body in, in others and stuffs them in a suitcase. So that part is correct, by the way. It is definitely Ew. what happened. Why would you play with your with well the or, sorry the playing part I'm not sure I don't know like, why would you eat somebody <clears throat> okay fair question I mean he obviously has but, no fear or I don't know like I don't know what that is like I, I I'm picturing silly string right now and like and or slime I don't know the, I don't know intestines I, I don't know let's have a real conversation about. If he's making, like, pirate ship... No, okay. No. <laughs> well, I know. Oh. He, in the book, it wow. says he plays around with the internal <clears throat> organs. I don't know what plays around means. Yeah. Like, whatever. Like a kid... In, I, some, for some reason, I picture a kid in a bathtub, like, playing with, uh, like, toys in a bathtub. Like, splashing around. Oh, and yeah, like or, do, like, Play-Doh kind of yeah, style. Yeah, like, that's how I... It's kind of what I picture. And it's sort of... It's weird. Oh, uh, no, okay. All right, Jenna. I have a photo for you, Jenna, later if you want to see it. Yeah? I don't think we're going to post it. No. We'll post some photos, but okay. not that. Okay. All right. You guys can go look at it yourself. Okay. Um, yeah. So, again, like I said, we don't know if all the details are correct, but we do know uh, that he carefully disposed of her clothes and personal belongings in the River Seine and in garbage bins around Paris. He also disposed of some of her flesh and internal organs in garbage boxes. Not sure what that... I guess yeah, it's the big boxes. 
and then back at his home, Segawa saved some parts of her body in the freezer in anatomically labeled bags and then called a cab. Wow. When the cab driver puts the suitcase in his trunk, he joked with Segawa that they were so heavy, he must have a body inside. <gasps> this happened for real. Yeah, it was bound to happen. I mean... Do you know how many times... You gotta understand, like, this body... This this girl was 5'11". I didn't say that, but she's 5'11". Oh. And he's under five foot tall, and he's carrying a suitcase with most of her body in there. I mean, I wonder if he just... You know, it would be a struggle for him, I would assume, to even lift. So. Yeah. Anyway, so he probably got the, he did get the cab driver to put the help him with the bags. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> but the one time that that joke's made, and it's yeah, true. it's almost like yeah. Next time you make that joke, think twice about it. Yeah. Uh, so I he might. yeah, so he took the cab to uh, the Bois de Boulogne Park in Paris. With that was beautifully the, said. Oh, merci beaucoup. With the intentions of throwing uh, the suitcases in the lac inferieur. The suitcases were so heavy that he didn't have time to dump them before a middle-aged couple spotted him. So when he fled, leaving the suitcases under a bush, the p- couple uh, got a police officer who got a very nasty surprise when he opened the cases. <laughs> or the case up. Yep. Uh, the couple provided a description of Segwa, and the taxi driver was able to remember the address he picked him up from. Three days later, Segway was questioned in his apartment and confessed to the crime. He just... Just confessed. Well... Do you think the story ends there? Nope. Yes. But wait. Oh, yes. It wasn't long before he was back sleeping in his own comfy bed and walking the streets of Tokyo. I should have warned you. This is really upsetting. Oh, fuck. Long story short... His family hired Francis' top lawyer to argue his case for a million-dollar fee. After two, after two years he spent in pretrial detention, it was uh, filed as a mistrial <gasps> because he wasn't sane to stand trial. He was deported back to Tokyo and treated at the Matsuzawa Mental, Mental Institution for 16 months. As he entered the institution voluntarily, in theory, he could leave whenever he wanted. Shut up. And September 1985, he walked out a free <gasps> man. Holy shit. This is not a feel-good story. He kept a low profile working as a dishwasher and made unsuccessful attempts as a French tutor. He did persuade a literary magazine to run installments of one of his novels. And he also found more creative work by writing subtitles for a film about a man who made handbags out of out of the skin of corpses. I guess he's really keeping a tight spin on his, um, you know, obsession. You can. You, Jenna's oh not God. even saying words right now. Her face, her face is like I think she's traumatized and she can't even. Words aren't even coming out of her mouth, but she's reacting. I think I know where this is going. Oh. I think. I have a theory. Oh, I can't. I'm interested in a oh. theory. Do you want to tell the theory or do you want to wait? I want to wait. Okay. I'm so excited. right? Like, I'm so excited right now. I don't know. <laughs> I'm excited because this is, you're telling a very fascinating story. It's shitty. It is shitty. But you're doing, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Thank you. So it was in the reign of another Japanese serial killer, uh, Tsu, Tsutomu 
Miyaka, Miyazaki. That's right, Miyazaki. Good job. Thank you. I'm Japanese. I'm not. You're um, turning Japanese? Oh, I, I really think so. Um, <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> anyway, this guy, who was also a cannibal that paved the way for Sagawa's fame. Yes, Jenna, I said fame. <laughs> What's happening over there? It's getting exciting. He soon found himself appearing on chat shows and writing. My Siri just just opened up, and I don't know why. I must have said something that sounded like Siri. It's haunted. It is haunted. Sorry, guys. Haunted microphone. I was saying, he soon found himself appearing on chat shows and writing editorials for highly respected newspapers and magazines, offering firsthand experience of what it was like to eat another human being. Instead of being ostracized, ostracized, can you say it? Compartmentalized. <laughs> that was a joke from episode one, which don't go listen to, but. You should listen to that joke because that was pretty funny. That was a pretty funny joke. Yeah. Ostracized and hated, he was catapulted into the surreal world of Japanese show business. For almost five years, he cashed in on his own notoriety. <sighs> While this Bugger. joke, and I quote, I put that in quotations, lasted. Segawa's cult status followed him to take part in porn films, oh. write a bestseller, and even appearing on the front page of a cooking magazine slurping on sushi. Shut up! Oh, whoa! It's not a feel-good story. Uh, veteran journalist Antonio Pagnata wound up spending six months interviewing and researching Segawa while living and working in Tokyo. So, before we... This is so that. like highly. De- this is so. This story is very highly documented. Yes, and researched. It's yes. Whoa. In 1992, I'll start <clears throat> for Pagnata. I'm going to start here because that way you know. In 1992, in the height of Segwa's popularity, Pagnata published his story in France, revealed how adept Segwa was now. Be- sorry, had now become at manipulating the media. Protected by his large circle of admirers, he was treated with respect and even awed. He was happily wallowing in the media spotlight. The report caused shockwaves all over France, where most people believed he was still locked up in jail. (gasps) Pagnotta had exposed him as the, quote, sexual pervert, porno actor, and could-be serial killer, end quote, that he was. Now, again... Nothing negative to say about porno actors or people in pornography if that is their choice. But yeah, this is he he let him out. This was like an underground Japanese. Um, just uh, anyway, he just exposed him. Do you think Sagwa was happy about that? I don't know. Hmm. Sagwa was livid. And this is a quote directly Shocker. from him. I will never, ever forgive Antonio Pagnata. This Yakuza photographer has followed me for months and has stolen much information. I want to hang him upside down and smash his skull with a metal bat. I will kill him for sure. Because that's what you say if you're an innocent cannibal, yeah. non-cannibal. Well, he, yeah, <clears throat> I mean. Bash your head, bash his head in. Yeah, no, he's, yeah, yeah. By the way, I called his quote was Yakuza photographer. I looked up what that meant because I did not know. Yakuza is a transnational organized crime syndicate mm-hmm. originating in Japan. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. I had no idea. So they're like, uh, there's a uh, common way that they kill people, w- which is pushing them. Okay. So 
don't quote me on this, but Tyler really loves Japanese culture. And I think I remember him talking to me about this one time. Uh, We were standing on the subway platform because this is the the best time to talk about this. He tells me the Yakuza pushes people into subways to as as hits. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Maybe. Oh, I I mean, I believe it. So, anyways. Anyway, yeah. (laughs) So there you go. And sorry, how did you say it? I call it yakuza, but it's yakuza. I think it's a. The y- 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 yakuza. Yaku- yakuza. We'll get confirmation from Tyler when he comes okay. home. Okay. I also don't even know how to say this gentleman's name, by the way. I always call him Sagawa. No, it sounds right. I think so. It's S-A-G-A-W-A. Sagawa. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Sagawa also left uh, voicemails on Pagnata's answer machine, was seen lurking outside his old apartment, and nearly assaulted him in a restaurant. This, of course, took a toll on Pagnata, and he had reoccurring nightmares that Sagawa would attack him and eat his brain, as one would oh when my. you're pissing off a cannibal. Me Pagnata chose. remembers when he met him, his instincts set off alarms right away. Uh, they were about to shake hands. He ended up making eye contact with Sagawa, and he felt overwhelmed with nausea. Whoa. This is when he first met him. Uh, so even though all this, he wanted to follow Sagwa around to get a story on him. He says he was very well educated and his manners were gracious. He appeared somewhat modest, the signs of proper education and upbringing. Sagwa was very much money driven. Even though he was still getting an allowance from his millionaire father, he would charge for interviews or if anybody wanted a picture of him. Pagnata all while spending this time with him, had to also deal with his followers, so people that shared his obsession with him. One wanted to eat a baby, and others wanted to join him in another killing. Whoa. So you think you're already fucked up, and you could find other people... I guess you could find other people that believe in anything you believe in yeah. at some point. Uh, so yeah, Saigua was very open about his past and his obsession, and he loved to share every detail. Um, yeah, this is the true definition of someone who's an oversharer. Yeah, we don't, we don't fucking care. Oh, oversharing. Uh, every TMI. year. TMI. <laughs> TMI. It's too much TMI. Is, well, I guess that too much, too much information. That's right. TTTMI. Whoa. That's deep. I would. Um, so this is from Pagnata. He says, every year, almost ritually, the cannibal gathered friends and admirers for a Hanami, a traditional party under a, the cherry blossom of a nearby park. The main dish was barbecued meat. Uh, question. Yeah. Can I get some clarification on the meat part? There was no clarification I could <gasps> I could see. So are you am I am I to guess? Might take a guess here. I, you can guess whatever you want. The meat possibly was human. Well, you get a bunch of cannibals together. Um, you know. Anyway, that year, Sagwa invited Pugnata to join in on that barbecue. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, because he was following them around. So he, they were like besties. That's why they weren't really besties. But that's why Sagwa was so livid when the article came out six months after. Because he thought... This guy was his friend. Pagnano was his friend when he's, he's like, fuck no. 
Oh, that's so weird. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it's upsetting. Uh, So Saigua was, uh, I mean, just treated like royalty at times. When movies came out about cannibalism, he would be asked to the premieres as an honored guest. (laughs) Even when Silence of the Lambs came out, he was interviewed and asked his opinion. He said it was unrealistic and comical ah damn he was portrayed as a monster and ate everything normally a cannibal is delicate and selects his victims carefully ah see okay you know why i got really excited tell me there was a part that you started talking about about the handbags and i was like holy shit i'm listening to the based upon story of of Hannibal Lecter and the Silence of the Lambs movie and well, technically Buffalo Bill. I guess I thought this was I don't know I don't know if it's inspired by a true story or not. Well, Buffalo Bill is Ed yeah. Gein. Um, but didn't know if like the the Hannibal Lecter part was based off of him. And I got really excited. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, is she gonna tell me that? And I'm gonna be like so excited about it. But this, the here's the thing: the fact that he was interviewed about like, tell us, is this accurate to your experiences is even more creepier. Yeah. Because he gets to enjoy, uh, mm, he's in, he gets to watch some entertainment while he sees like a fake version of what he's really. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was, it's more than this. There was another movie. I don't know the title of it. And he was, yeah, he was like brought in as this honored guest and he was treated like, like, like royalty at this, as this premiere. I what other movie it and, was. I could tell you the title. I didn't write it down because there was a lot of them. And um, like his thing is his big thing was to talk about his experience of eating flesh. Like he was, he was, he would tell people in detail, and oh. that's why it was such a big thing. He was like, oh, like people wanted to know, and they like glorified him instead of like being disgusted and pushed him aside. They, you know, this is the stuff that should be said in prison, not. Like, Not, needs to, you need to hear this behind where there's a thick set of bars between you and that person. Yeah. yeah I, I agree. But no, like, like yeah, like I said, said like, Japanese game shows. Like, uh, I think it was, I, I mean, it was, I think a worldly story. I don't remember the story at all. But I think it was really big in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. No, yeah. No, see. Uh, he also, he was in. Uh, I don't even, part of me like Uh-oh. some of this stuff I don't even want to say and a lot of it I didn't even write down because wait there like uh, he oh was boy. in TV he was in TV shows uh, one of them he was a priest with oh. two blonde twin sisters off. in a short red miniskirt this is like a sick reminder of his victim holy shit he loved being uh, like Pagnotta was there when he was filming he said this guy was ecstatic being dressed as a honored Catholic clergyman like just wow he was the first well-known psycho killer to actually act on tv that i mean he people know people psycho knew. killer yeah qu'est-ce que c'est like like a like he was a killer like he wow just you know somebody who you know this was the quote from his thing but I, I, i'm i'm blown away i don't really have much to like I don't know what else to say. It's just this is really crazy. It's a mouthful. It is, and yeah. and that wasn't that wasn't meant to be a bad joke, by the way. That was oh, I, oh. I just realized. But I just yeah, that was good. The, okay, in, it was bad. Good 
Can we say goodbye? It's it was goodbye. like, a, like everything I want to say, I'm saying like, it's a lot to digest. And yeah. I really, I swear, oh. I'm not trying to make fun of the fact that he's eating, or he wants to eat humans and has eaten a human. It just is like mentally. I was telling Jenna, like when I was doing this story, it, sometimes it was just too much for me. I think that you have like days and weeks that you're better at handling information than others. Yeah. And this week, I don't know if I was more emotional or whatnot. It's like, sometimes I'd have to take a, st- a step back. Like you're so dis- disgusted, but then so sad. Anyway, I'll, I'm going to keep reading the story no, so you can. It's so wonderful that you, that you finished it. It's, it's great. You should be proud of yourself. Aww, you should. Because you. you're right. When we talked in the beginning of, we're not trying to make fun. This no. is to enlighten and educate to have a conversation these things sometimes are very very hard to process and to yes the realization of like this actually truly happened pushing all that compartmentalize i said it twice. yes you did say it right Come oh on, you can so do it good. girl let's do it Carpentalize. <laughs> compartmentalize yeah 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 she did it's a hard word guys it's a hard word and it's a hard thing to do but it's true because it's it's trying to just be able to tell the story and you're trying to like I said at the beginning about like um, we're trying to understand these yes. stories. We can't even grasp them or like take them all in fully. We can't because we're not, you know, we don't know that person. We don't know, but you're still reading it and you're mm-hmm. still sometimes living it and you, it's hard. So, yeah. So sometimes that's why if we get nervous and we make jokes, it's because we can't. You know, and yeah, yeah, do I read these things? Even though they're, they're so disgusting where you think you're only going to be in the disgust stage. Do you cry? Of course you do. Um, and, and going through that and it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. But again, be proud of yourself that you finished it and now you're telling this story. We're learning from it. We're learning about all these horrible things that happen and we take steps to fix it and we take steps every day to be awesome fucking people. Let's just yes. be awesome fucking people. That's right. Simple. Unlike... Saigua, who mm. um, I just want to say, again, more stuff, underground Japanese porn, like I said, films, magazine. I just want to talk about this one image uh, where he was dressed like a schoolgirl with a woman urinating on his face. I just felt like it was important to say that. Oh. Okay. Uh, in his heyday, he traveled all around the world, enjoying all expense paid trips to Germany, Norway, Denmark, Mexico, Iceland, India, and Canada. What? Wait. In our home and native land. Yes. Wow, how could he get... The fact that he had murdered a woman and eaten her seemed to have all been forgotten. Yeah, that's very weird. You, you think that he, he's he got a Japanese passport. Yeah. Isn't it on his record? I, I don't... Oh, that's so weird. I guess he's not... No, it's not because it was deemed a mistrial in France. So he has no record. He was... Oh, he right. was, So he just went to the institution... Uh, in Japan for and, and yeah, in Tokyo for 16 months. 16. And so he technically doesn't have a criminal record oh, because it was like Ugh. thrown out. Right? Sorry. I just got like, I, I actually felt body chills. Yeah. That's just, it's no, just No, and weird. I did that it's, a yeah. lot during mm-hmm. the story. Like sometimes if it's almost like you can't think about it too much because it's so yeah. gross. But it's a fascinating story. It is. It is. It is um, a fascinating story. In that sense. So yeah. Uh, he, during these times, he lectured on the nutritive values of human flesh. He was featured as a meat expert for a gastronomy column. Ooh. And he even planned, this is the best one, to open a vegetarian restaurant. No, 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 no. I, I, I mean, no. I didn't see anywhere that he did successfully do that, but 
even for him writing his own coattails of the sick, disgusting um, act of his. Yeah. How can you open a vegetarian restaurant? Vegetarian. Yeah, anyway. (sighs) So eventually, thank God, his popularity started fading in the late 90s, except for a brief interview with 60 Minutes and an HBO documentary, which I have not watched. Hmm. Don't know if I, I just, I feel like I couldn't at this time. Uh, so nowadays, Saigua, who is a di- who is diabetic, spends his time bitching about the lack of money and inability to to get a job. There are no family payouts anymore because both of his parents are dead. Wah. And while uh, and for a while he claimed wel- welfare. Reports say that he is now broke and living under uh, under an assumed name, and living in a small apartment outside of Tokyo. He, stu- he still does see Western women from time to time. Apparently, one begged him to eat her. <gasps> I guess, Honey. I guess he didn't. Why? People, Sweetheart. People, I don't know. I I, oh God. I get I get certain fetishes. Yeah. But not this one. No, why? Come on. Go get a tattoo. Buy a puppy. Be irresponsible with... No, don't buy a puppy if you're able to let well, somebody eat you. I, this, okay, please be... In the bad way. Please go get no, help. Go to therapy. It's great. It's wonderful. It's awesome. Yeah. So he still haunts Tokyo's red light district and chat, chats up Australian nightclub hostesses and strippers and often gets their numbers. He what? even managed to pick up an Australian girl and go on holiday with her to Canada. What? Until she realized who he was. Oh. And she oh. got the fuck out. <laughs> I wonder how big of a reality check that was. Uh, since then, he's made a couple headlines. Uh, in 2002, he was spotted in an anti-war rally holding up a sign that says, People are all beautiful. People shouldn't kill people. This was in regards to the United States attack on the Afghanistan. <laughs> on Afghanistan. Uh, he's he was while there he spoke briefly to a paper, but no one took much notice of him, and he eventually just shuffled off. Get your priorities straight, there, buddy. Now, the fact remains that for years, Saigua cashed in on a murder of a young woman, reducing his horrible deed to nothing more than a sick joke. I'll say, well, buddy, your joke is over. And even the media who helped you out along with the punchline is out. The horrible truth is that this man is free and walking around. But at least the story can't be told by him in a positive way anymore. As finally, no one will listen. Fuck yes. And that's the story of this piece of shit who is still out there. Wow. <clears throat> that was pretty epic. It was, you know, he, uh, he's still writing, still writing books. He just recently published uh, his 20th work. I'm not even, I don't even want to tell you the title because I feel like this is a piece of shit. He doesn't need to. In this book, he drew his own images and even apparently some famous artists uh, also drew images. I, (gasps) I looked some up and I, I think at this point I just couldn't, I was too far gone. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have one image that I think I could post that will be okay, but the images of just brutality and cutting women and that kind of thing it was just too much and i don't know how the sale of this book is done i hope he just wastes whatever little tiny money he has mm-hmm. uh wow and, yeah and he he does still say that he wants to eat human again before he dies no 
And uh, he says he wants to eat it again while I'm alive so that I can be satisfied when I die. Oh, buddy. Yeah. You want to see a picture of him? Buddy. Yeah, I do. And also, uh, side note, don't buy into any of these like serial killer art stuff and or cannibal art. Anything. Don't do it. We're just telling stories. It's just. Yeah. Okay. So this is our friend here. That's it. That's him. That's him when he was. Um, he looks like a skeleton. He's being let out of his apartment. Skin over Tom. Yes. My heart's yeah. racing right now. Yeah. That was intense. Yeah. Great story. Good job. <sighs> Thanks. Golf Thanks. clap. Yeah, golf clap. And uh, yeah, that was a really like different. Um, our our stories were super different. Yeah, but I liked it. It. Yeah. I, uh, Baby, I liked it. Yeah. The way you spoke about your murder. <gasps> No, I liked it. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Ooh, baby, I love your murder. Every day. <laughs> Wanna tell me how he killed his victim? Look at Jenna. She's got such a nice voice. So do you. No, don't even. No, you do. No, don't even. Don't even. I'm still going to sing, but don't even. I feel like I need to tell you this, <clears throat> but when we first started recording, you were singing A Whole New World, and I did get it. So maybe we'll post a clip. <laughs> in the bloopers last Maybe. week oh yeah we should do a blooper that would be fun no it wouldn't i don't know it would be filled with bad jokes <laughs> and me burping <clears throat> yeah i'll see if i can cut some whatever all right well that was that was intense i feel like um that hit like a whole new level that i haven't experienced before while either listening to a podcast or reading about uh true crime stories and mm. i loved it that I was did. really good. It was. I. I. I mean, I hesitated <clears throat> almost doing it. Um. In a. In a way, and I kept thinking, "Can I do this? Can I do this?" And then I thought, "Yeah," because part of me is. It's. I know we're talking about it, so, but we're talking about it in a negative way where mm-hmm. it blew my mind to know that this guy made so much money off of literally killing somebody and eating. This young lady's body parts Mm -hmm. and how the media at the time and just kept going with it like i would hope that nowadays that wouldn't happen we Uh, hope yeah but right right now we're we're at a point in time in in news where and i'm really happy to see the shift a lot i shouldn't say a lot some news channels are refusing to say the name of yes the killer. Yes. And show his show their picture. I said he, and I apologize. I'm not assuming that every murderer is a man. It's just there's a, a lot of yeah. Sorry. I said a lot of yeah. I'm not Next assuming week. that any of our <laughs> listeners are actually murderers. Oh, my God. Yes, please. <laughs> I hope they're not. <laughs> but please don't kill us. No. Um, there is a high level of men murderers, so... I apologize, but I'm going to do a woman next week. Are you really? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I have to really. I don't actually know <clears throat> who, but that's my challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I'm excited. Oh, that's a good. Ooh. No. I like that challenge. Oh. No, that I do. Yeah. I really like that. What should I do? I should do. So I did, a, I did a music artist. I've done an actual serial killer. Child murderer. Not, oh. not somebody who, ch- who kills children. Well. Oh, I could do one too. Hmm. I have one of those too. Like a theme, theme one. You want to do a theme one? Kids who kill kids. That's <gasps> horrible. Oh God, I can't believe I just said that. Wow. 
Can kid ones are so they're all hard. They're all, yeah. they're all disgusting. They're all disgusting and hard. But we can we could let's table this discussion. Okay. Let's. I like the idea, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm gonna do one eventually. Well, because I got I, one in I my back so. pocket. Oh, and by the way, so next Monday is Canadian Thanksgiving for us. So uh, the I, probably the episode will be released a little bit later. We're gonna figure out schedule stuff because yeah, we record on Monday. Yes, and but we don't release it till Thursday. <clears throat> Depends on how hard Jenna works. Jenna hey. does all the editing, and I sit there and wait. <laughs> You you provide beautifully, amazingly told stories. I, I, I'm just so you know you. what? I am so happy to be doing this with you. I just want to say, oh, like, that's I'm, awesome. I'm I'm elated. I was even telling Jenna during our long half an hour break that you guys didn't know that we had of how excited I was about her story because I think that a lot of people would be fascinated by all these musician thingy majiggies. And I was laughing about how little I knew. And I said the two names that I heard and I said all your other bands I've never even heard of like when it comes to music I am out I don't know anything um so learning yeah I mean I don't don't quiz me on all the bands you just talked about but no the homework that we give each other will be strictly true crime or podcast related it won't be like hey you need to go home and listen to the entire Doors album collection no but what you do need to do is watch the staircase on netflix yes because i have opinions and (laughs) we're waiting for jenna to catch up and watch them so that we can talk about them i even i'm on (laughs) episode 100 of my favorite murder and they're speaking about the staircase and i actually had to stop it and skip it because i don't i need to finish i have one more episode of that and i feel like i want to do a little research on my own because i don't know if the netflix series withholds some information always i have i had so many opinions and now i have an opinion and i don't know i need to i need jenna to catch up ah uh, you just need to watch it okay well that's you guys know everybody what? go watch it we're almost like we're almost done yeah I, we're would, done. I think that's what i'm gonna do when we're done here all right i'm really excited I, my heart's racing again but yeah uh do we have anything to update um, or talk about <clears throat> follow us on instagram yes oh write review subscribe is that a thing now <laughs> yeah Let, okay. yeah it, it will be soon we're trying to get the podcast on itunes hopefully by the time you're listening to it we are on itunes i'm gonna try to do it on spotify but right now we're on podomatic um which at- if you're listening to this you would know yes <laughs> All avenues where a podcast could possibly go, we're going to try to put them on. But we're on SoundCloud.com slash The Art of Murder Podcast. We're on Podomatic as Podomatic.com slash The Art of Murder. Instagram, um, The Art of Murder. That's right. Uh, our email address is Art of Murder Podcast at gmail.com. That's Art of Murder. We drop the the. Yeah. Uh, so Art of Murder. Google wouldn't let me put that in there. <laughs> podcast? Art of Murder podcast? I couldn't put the in front of Art of Murder. It was too long. But, it, but the email's Art of Murder podcast. It right? is. That's correct. Art of Murder podcast at gmail.com. We do have a Facebook page too. So here's what happened. Last week we did not have our shit together. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I kept being surprised that Facebook would let us say the word murder. Well, they didn't. Okay. The, the title of our fan page is The Art of Murder, but our username, so the facebook.com slash, couldn't be The Art of Murder because there was profanity in it. So it's uh, facebook.com slash T-A-O-M podcast. Uh, yes. Okay. So that's all I could get. That's okay. All right. It was something. That we works. don't have a website yet. We'll get there. Well, it's episode one. We're playing the long game. <laughs> it's episode two one. 
it's that's one, 21. One, two. If we get to 21 episodes, I'd be... That would be you know so what I mean? Awesome. I'm saying this is it's our oh. second episode, but it's kind of like our first episode. Yeah, that's true. It's like part part two of Pilot Brawl. Yeah. That's right. Part two to Brawl. <laughs> I mean, yes, I, I do agree with Jenna. If you have time, go listen to the first one. Yeah. And she, she put in the time codes because she's awesome to <laughs> when this, the murder start. Because so the intro is, about that. is funny if you knew... You, know, you try to listen to it. You try know, try do the first two minutes that's your home that is a challenge i am challenging everyone yeah. if you can get through that episode you get a badge of of bones bones yeah catacombs? a badge of from the cat a badge of bones from the catacombs these are fictional bones we're not actually going to be no. sending you any <clears throat> i could i could probably whip something out <laughs> jenna's going to paper mache you a femur <laughs> and Ooh. send it to you via <clears throat> fedex cool no, they're too expensive. Okay. We'll go with Canada Post. Canada Post. By Canadian. Hey? <laughs> I'm going to go put my toque on. I'm going to go watch The Staircase. Oh, yes. Do that. Yeah. All right. This is good times. I know. This was fun. Great. Yeah. I'm so happy with this episode. I, I, honestly. So I think with that said, remember to take it to the catacombs. Always take it to the catacombs. Amien toast. See you soon. <laughs> Do you remember that from Polka Dot Doors? No. I think it was Polka Dot Doors. What did you say? Uh, it's uh, um, au revoir. Ambient toast. See you soon. Oh, ambient toast. Ambient toast. I, I thought you were saying ambient toast. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even understand that. What the hell is ambient toast? <laughs> I mean, I'll have one, but as long as it's gluten free, <laughs> ambient toast. <laughs> That was an English person trying to say, ah, bien tôt. I'm so glad I'm still recording. (laughs) Ambient toast, everybody.